Hello, welcome to another Rahalastapa and another bonus intro. There's another intro coming after this. Uh, but uh, this one is uh, an advert for a big friend of the podcast, Leon Edler, who um, you may remember did our amazing postcards and badges for one of our Kickstarter campaigns. He works for The Guardian, lots of things, amazing artist. Um, he also got Chris Evans banned from ever going to prom to print again because of his picture of Hitler being poked by a finger through time. So, you know, he's, a, he's an in legend. Anyway, he has launched uh, a fantastic new thing. It looks brilliant, which is called Room 50, um, which has, um, it's a chance to buy kind of affordable prints of brilliant artists around the world. There's 50 artists offering limited edition prints to suit all budgets and wall sizes. Uh, it's just been launched. Uh, it's uh, it's really worth having a look at if you want some pictures for your walls. Go to room50.com uh, and you can see all the 50 artists that are included in this. Um, and Leon Edler, buy his ones because he's awesome and he makes sure the money goes to the artists uh, and uh, you get some fantastic high-quality prints. It sounds really good. So uh, room50.com. Now, here's an intro of me trying to plug some of my stuff. Hello and welcome to Richard's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. My guest this week is historian and all-round nice guy, Greg Jenner. If you like these podcasts and would like to help us make some more and support us and get some extra stuff, why not join a, a drip? Yes, drip, which is a new thing from Kickstarter. We can give £3 a month and you get all kinds of benefits like seeing the backstage interviews, you get to see my stand-up shows, you get to see um, my penis... Uh, oh no, not anymore. The times have changed. Uh, but there's loads of good things there. Uh, and so um, go to d.rip slash Richard hyphen herring or go to my website and you'll be able to see a link, richardherring.com. Also, I'm on tour from February through to June 2018 with my show, Oh Freak, I'm 50. Tickets for that would make a wonderful Christmas gift. Go to richherring.com slash gigs. Hey, buy my book, Emergency Questions and Christmas Emergency Questions at gofasterstripe.com. Let's sit back, stop all this advertising stuff and enjoy. Go and sign up for Bulb and enjoy Rich Tang's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who has already been called the 21st century Frost Nixon. It's Richard Harry! <laughs> You're much better than last week's audience, apart from you. Welcome to, welcome to another episode of Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. But I was uh, playing Magna Doodle down uh, the Magna Doodle. Remember Magna Doodle? I mentioned it last week. You should have been listening. Uh, the Peter, the kids playing Magna. It's like an etch a sketch, but it never caught on. You can trace comic strips with it. Some children playing that called it Hellestimus. So I don't know if that's going to uh, catch off. Uh, so uh, let's see. We've got a, a quite an intellectual audience uh, here today. So I want to look. There's a man here with uh, drinking a Stella Artois. That is uh, that's, that's very posh. What's your name, sir? It's what? Jason. Jason. And what do you what do you do for a living, Jason? You're a banker. That's nice. It's a good job. No, it's a good job. It's all right. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to joke about that. How's it going? The banks down there. Has it all? Has it? Has the people don't like you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> drinking Stella. Like no, you come down here, you lost all our money, and you're drinking Stella. How dare you? Are you with? Are you with Jason? Yes. Yeah. Are you also a banker? You're both very casual. What would you do? What's your name? Paul. Paul. And what do you do for a living, Paul? Uh, I sell 
You sell IT, that's what we want. It's back old, it's old school. No, you come fly by night, newbies. He's a guy who's been doing IT, so and we all like Richard. Let's square the podcast. Let's do a coach trip down. So how's it going, the old IT information technology? Am I right? Yeah. 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 On the same level. And uh, you look nervous. What's your name? What's your name? Henry, that's a nice name. I've got a vacuum cleaner like that. Uh, and, um... What's... You got a, a motorcycle clothing shop badge. Thank you, mate. You're a good lad. Uh, what do you, I'm not having to go with you. What, what, what do you do for a living? You're a graphic designer. Yeah! That's like it's sort of just IT with pencils, isn't it? <laughs> IT without a computer. <laughs> well, you're almost welcome. You're almost welcome, except for you, Jason. You are not welcome. You're not welcome. You're not welcome. And I'm going to make you leave. Uh, either pay back the money or leave. That's uh, pay back all of the money or leave. No, you can stay. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> it's all right. Uh, so, uh, well, my guest this week is probably best known as the assistant producer of The Saint and the Hanged Man. That's why we all came along today. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Greg Jenner! Here he is. Come in, welcome. Sit, please sit down. How are you, Greg? No one knows who I am. They, they, some people do know who you are. Emergency booking. <laughs> it wasn't. I've always wanted to book you. Uh, you want, we don't really know each other, but we talked a lot on Twitter. Yeah. And we once bumped into each other in the street. Apart from that, we don't really know each other. On the basis of great relationships, you know, that's how you... That's how you <laughs> but that's the modern world, isn't it? That you, you know, I've kind of bumped into you and thought, well, I know you, and I thought, I've never met you before in our lives, have we? I don't think. Uh, yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's weird, because I know you, because I've listened to the show for about two and a half years, so yeah. this is really surreal. Yeah. I should be there. Yeah. I don't know it what's happening. It is like, you may have a terminal illness, <laughs> and your family have paid for you to come along. He <laughs> 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 really loves... Will you just have him? Yeah, I'll just have him along. You'd we'll just think, do a five-minute interview. You'd think they'd put me on a better podcast, I suppose. <laughs> no, he loves it so much. You can go, you can go on the Ricky Gervais song. No, mummy, can I go on Richard Aaron? It's all I want to do before I die. What was The Saint and the Hanged Man all about? That well, sounds good. I mean, That's what you're best known for. Everyone knows The Saint and the Hanged Man. <laughs> they do. You've been on IMDb, haven't you? <laughs> I have, that's uh, yeah. where I go. And there isn't, um, much, there isn't like, all your things are actually famous, so there isn't much to choose, and that was the only one that I saw that I hadn't heard of. It's actually, it's quite an, uh, it's a weird thing. It was a documentary I made about 10 years ago for BBC4, so yeah. I'm immediately showing my nerdy credentials, <laughs> um, about the canonization process of medieval saints in Wales in the 13th century. <laughs> Tell me more. Needless to say, <laughs> the ratings were huge. Um, it was actually a lot of, it was actually really good fun. It was really yeah. interesting. Rob Brydon narrated it. Wow. Um, and and we sort of decided we would make a really weird, fun, quirky history documentary because when you're making something that weird, that esoteric, you've got to sort of try and jolly it up a little bit. So we had sort of Monty Python style animations and graphics, cool. and we. Uh, restaged the hanging of a man. Wow. Uh, it's all about basically there's a, a man called Thomas the Cantaloupe who was a 
Bishop. Thomas de Cantaloupe. Thomas de Cantaloupe. <laughs> Did he invent the cantaloupe? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he went through various fruits and then yeah. he was like, I've got it, I've cracked it. Um, no, he was a, a, um, a very important bishop uh, in Hereford. You're making this up. I'm not making this up, it's real. Um, and uh, he died, as you do, and then people started coming back to life. Um, when they invoked his name. And so, in the medieval church, in order to investigate if a saint was a saint or not... Hold on. People came back to life when they invoked his name. Yeah. So, so they were dead. They and were then dead. They said, and they went, Thomas de Cantaloupe. <laughs> and then they came back alive. I would say they were alive before they said Thomas de Cantaloupe. Someone else said Thomas de Cantaloupe and they went, this is nonsense. Okay. You've come on. All the historians have got together. Go, let's try and trick Richard <laughs> We'll put something that he can't resist in yeah. IMDb. Then you come back with this story about Ian Mellon. <laughs> coming. Oh, no, Karen, it's very interesting. No, it's, um, in the medieval world, if someone you love died, yeah. you would say a prayer to the bishop or the saint who had Lazarine powers. And Lazarine powers is the ability to bring someone back from the dead. And that is the absolute A-grade power for a saint. Most saints can't do it. To be fair, they're not Lazarine powers, they're Jesus' powers. Lazarus was dead and he didn't, when Jesus, don't this call it Lazarine powers. Fair point. Lazarus didn't are, have any powers, Lazarus was dead and Jesus came in. Like, that's going, that's or, not fair on maybe Jesus, not. is it? Maybe Lazarus was the magician and he, had, he was the one with the power all along. Wow. Jesus was a plant. It could be, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll anyway, I'm not saying that. But um, He was a melon. He was, he, <laughs> he was an eggplant. Okay. And then you've got, basically, a woman would say a prayer to Thomas the Cantaloupe, and you would measure out the corpse, yeah. and you'd say a prayer, a candle to the same height, and then you'd say a prayer to the bishop, and if you were lucky, that man would come back to life. <laughs> lucky. And a man called William Crack, who was yeah. a Welsh um, criminal, burned down a castle, was hanged at the gallows, yeah. and then this lady called uh, Lady Brios, uh, yeah. who was the wife of the local lord, she did a prayer, and William Crack came back to life. William Crack. William Crack. Yeah, it means uh, William the Scabby. Okay. He had sort of scabs all over his face. So he came back to life, and this happened. This to is like interviewing Tony Law again. This, <laughs> this is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this sounds amazing. So did the show go on as long as this anecdote? <laughs> about the same length. I think. About the same length. Um, so yeah, yes. it's about the process by which the Catholic Church would investigate whether a saint was a saint or not. Yeah. So it was actually about the legal process, about how do you make a saint. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question I've always wondered, because it's not really up to us to say, is it? No. So if, if someone's canonised on earth and God knows that they're bad, God must go, got to have him up here now, is Halo, because of you lot. true, yeah. Surely God decides who gets to be saints. Uh, no. No. No, afraid not. Okay. He, he gets to ratify them, I guess. Yeah. But no, it, it's, it's beatified first, then canonised. So there we go. And you still, the weird thing is that more saints were made in the 20th century than in all of medieval history put together. Mm. So it's actually a process that's got easier. See, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to see if I can get in. Yeah, you should. Yeah. You need three miracles. Okay. Well, am I, am I career still going? That's one. <laughs> <laughs> Just about. That probably counts as two miracles. It's... <laughs> Lazarine powers I've got. So, um, uh, well, horrible histories is what people would probably uh, uh, know you best from, yeah. and you were sort of working behind the scenes on that. Mainly, though, you did appear on occasion. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm William the Conqueror's dancing squire. Yes. An important, <laughs> important role. Um, but yeah, I'm the historian on the show. Yeah, so you were the, you were the advisor to make... Because what, what Horrible Histories is a, is a really brilliant show. I mean, it's a kid's show, but it's, it's, it properly worked for adults as well in, yeah. the, in the way that kids shows used to, I think, and then didn't for a long time. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I mean, Python started off doing... A lot of the Python guys started off doing a history show didn't they they did the history of britain or something they did a show uh, Pat palin and jones did uh, they did after didn't they i think maybe they did ripping yarns and stuff they did ripping yarns but i think before in the oh, 60s really? they would they did a sort of history sketch show and there's a sort of python-esque feel to oh, yeah. horrible histories but um it's what it's it's not patronizing to kids or adults at all i mean it's, it's, it's like <laughs> both in terms of what you're covering in the history and what you're parodying are very sophisticated in that show yeah, I mean, the point of the show is to obviously make kids laugh. Yeah. And that's the job that we sort of take really seriously. But obviously my job is to be sort of the nerd going, well, technically speaking... Uh, but that's, but that's and, it, you know, so you would but you'd always make sure everything was actually historic. Actually, yeah, yeah, the costumes yeah. were right yep. and, and all the history was correct. Yeah, you, yeah. You could play around and have fun with the... the yeah, it's, a, it's just basically... The historically accurate pantomime yeah. so it's ludicrous from start to finish because yeah. you're doing hip hop parodies and, and you know you're having Henry II on Bake Off it doesn't make any sense <laughs> but all the facts that are in the show have to be double sourced right and I have a 100% veto so I can cancel any sketch right uh, so I get to kind of go no make it better do it again you know, change it which obviously I don't do because that's a very expensive thing to do <laughs> um, but the brilliant thing was from day one I was able to be someone who was working with the team creatively and yeah. also had this sort of strange power to say, no, you can't do that. But you had kind of quite... I mean, I think, see, I think a lot of people would be tempted to do, oh, well, let's just, you know, let's do William the Conqueror and let's do Shakespeare and let's not worry too much about, you know, what's going on. But you had quite strict rules about what, what was allowed within the sketches. So I think, like, anyone... The characters couldn't know about anything from outside of their own period. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Is that... yeah, they've got to have the internal logic of the era they're from. Right. <laughs> Uh, so you, yeah, you can't have William the Conqueror knowing who David Beckham is. Yeah. So you can have him on a modern TV show. He can go on Bake Off, but he has to be perplexed by sort of modern <laughs> references, um, which is funny in itself. Yeah, you know. And then so the, the basically what you're trying to do is, is uh, communicate to kids that the past is obviously this enormous canvas of thousands and thousands of different names and faces and stuff, but that each of these people were occupying a very specific time and place, and they wouldn't know the names of people who came after them, no. even if we know who those people would be. Sure. So William the Conqueror would not know who Henry II was, right. or Beckham, or Mel and Sue. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that's part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was, the cast was, you know, I think they were fairly new when the, 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 the early series, only the first sure. five or six series, those guys... They did five series. Five series. Cast, yeah. And they've got, I mean, they sort of almost are the Monty Python of, of that generation, aren't they, in terms yeah. of the, the Matthew Bainton and, um, I mean, the, all these guys, I can't name them all, but there's a <laughs> Jim Howick and yep. uh, they've all gone on to to be in Peep Show and, and all sorts of... Yeah, and also they, they went on and did Yonderland, which yeah. is a brilliant, funny uh, show in, on Sky, which is, again, a sort of fantasy, historical, sort of mad, wacky wigs and, and yeah. costumes. Yeah, they were... The amazing thing was they didn't know each other. Right. So it was just an audition process in 2008. It's been going for nine years, and right. we just we brought some actors in, and the best ones, we went, yeah, he's really funny, he's really funny, she's really funny. Yeah. And then we put them in a room for a week, and they just immediately had this chemistry that was extraordinary. Yeah. And they're now inc incredibly close friends. Yeah. And you can't really do that. Artifact. You can't put people in a room together and go, be funny together. No. It just happens. It's yeah. just magic. Uh, this, and, and, but also, I think you... 
It feels because there aren't many outlets for sketch writers. I think at the moment, you no. know, there's a lot, and you had really amazing writers on that show. I'm presuming you didn't pay them anything because <laughs> uh, it's kids TV, and I know how much kids yeah, TV it's... pays. Uh, no. And uh, but they all, you know, there's, there's a very strong writing on it. There's people yeah. from uh, Green Wing and Armstrong yep. and Miller, and yeah, Steve Punt was series one. I mean, uh, it was my first ever experience of comedy. Yeah, and. It was terrifying because all of these people I'd grown up watching were just sat around a table. There's about 15 of them all sat at the table and they would just look at me and go, go on then. <laughs> and I'd have to lecture them about history for four hours every Monday. And we'd do this for 14 weeks. Right. And so it was just the most terrifying gig of my life. Yeah. These professionally funny, brilliant people who's whose work I knew sort of intimately as a sort of nerdy teenager, were now just going, okay, tell me more about William Shakespeare. <laughs> so yeah, it was an amazing, amazing thing. And every, everyone in the sort of team had come from adult comedy. So they'd all been working on Green Wing, or they'd been working on Armstrong and Miller, or they'd been working on Partridge. Yeah. Everyone kind of came down a little bit from that world and went, okay, but the money's crap, but this sounds like fun. Yeah. Let's all go play. And it's been brilliant fun. I just, I just love that you know, there's a brilliant song. I mean, there's just so many... It's not like there's the Rosa Parks song, which is amazing yeah. and like really, you know, it's brilliant, but it's also incredibly important story to be telling people. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the, the great one with the kings, where you're just listing all the kings' names, which is sort of silly, but also that's probably where I'm dancing is William yeah, and Chris Squire. Yeah, <laughs> but it's yeah. probably going to teach probably a whole generation of kids know the whole genealogy of, of the British monarchy yeah. as a result of that song. So it's uh, it's an incredible thing to be involved in. But you are you you're you know you've written, I believe I haven't brought it down, have I? What a fool! But you, your fantastic book. Uh, the, the, you, the, we've got another book coming out soon. Is the is the new book finished or are you uh, working uh, on it? No, God, no. No. <laughs> My editor is here, and I imagine she is. <laughs> saying, where's it coming? Uh, no, I, it, the finished would be no. Um, but your first book is well, is it's finished? Yes. Yeah, so that is finished. I have a copy, and it's in the dressing room. It's very cool. nice. Cool. Great. Well done. Uh, <laughs> and it's the history of the world in a day so you're, you're basically starting in the morning yeah. and telling everyone the history of uh, toothpaste uh, <laughs> of getting up and then working the way through the day yeah. uh, uh, but then throughout all of, all of history yeah with, it's called a million years in a day yeah. and uh, each chapter is a different subject but all the stuff that you do on a Saturday so you wake up in bed it's the history of beds yeah. you look at the clock it's the history of time you brush your teeth history of dental hygiene you go to the loo history of toilets yes. all the way through the day up to you know midnight yeah. so yeah it's essentially the history of everything but sort of tried to be structured around all the stuff that we do all the time but lots of I mean it must have taken a great deal of research because yeah. you're finding out these little nuggets about each subject but you must have had to read a thousand books for each chapter yeah I read 200 books a year every right. year <laughs> and have done since 2005. I so. read uh, about a quarter of a book a week. <laughs> and it's the book that I'm talking to about someone on this podcast. Uh, and I've read a quarter of your book, and the quarter I've read is very good. Uh, so, I've read about the history of toilets. Hey. That I honed in on that one. Uh, so, uh, I thought you might. Yeah. <laughs> I may have some questions about toilets. I was surprised to, uh, toilet paper took um, a long time to come to the... United, well, the, the United Kingdom. Yeah, it took a thousand years. Yeah. Um, which is slightly delayed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was invented in the ninth century in China. Right. It arrived in New York in the 1880s. Right. Why uh, did it take, why were they keeping it to themselves, the Chinese? Uh, because China and the West wasn't really communicating. Right. And then we went over there and sort of invaded and gave them opium. And they were like, thanks. Uh, <laughs> we'd rather you hadn't. And they kept all their good ideas to themselves. Uh, so yeah, we, we basically took a thousand what years. What were we using instead of toilet paper? Well, this is one of my favourite subjects, so yeah. I'm glad you've asked. Good. Um, 
the, the obvious thing is basically rag sleeves. Um, uh, in Islam, you're meant to use pebbles, okay. pebbles. Uh, you're meant to use an odd number of pebbles. So one pebble, three pebbles, five pebbles, seven yeah. pebbles. If you're up to nine pebbles, you need to change your diet. <laughs> Something's gone horribly wrong, too many curries. Um, in Japan, they used chuki sticks, which were like, you know when you get like an ice cream, and at the end you've got the wooden stick? It's that. Right. Pretty good. There's no joke on it, though. It's just sort of... Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, I mean, my favourite joke from history is a medieval joke, mm -hmm. and uh, it's what's the cleanest leaf in the forest? And the answer is holly, because no one dares wipe his ass on it. Um, and that's indicative of the fact that foliage was sort of kind of commonly yeah. used. The Romans used uh, various things. The most famous one, famous one was a sponge on a stick yes. called a zilospongion, yeah. and that was shared. You... <laughs> So they'd have a communal toilet, usually about 12 people in a communal toilet. Yeah. Sponge on a stick, do your business, wipe, wipe, pass it on. <laughs> How um, many uses would one sponge... Do they wash it out or do they, they, uh, they yeah. throw it away? I think they had like some, some, maybe some vinegar or some wine. That yeah. You might give it a dunk. Okay. Uh, then drink the wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's a, there's a famous story told by Seneca of a, um, a Roman gladiator, a German gladiator who didn't want to fight in the arena and he decided he'd kill himself and he couldn't find anything to kill himself with. So he ran into the toilet and choked himself to death on the shit sponge. <laughs> <laughs> Which is sort of, I mean, there's a metaphor for yeah. really not wanting to fight in the arena. Well, I, I know, you say in the book as well, I'd be the same. I find it very difficult in toilets to, like, if it's urinals, I can't go next to another guy. So yeah. the idea of, like, everyone, basically everyone's just sitting in a room together next, like, we're sitting here. We yep. could be pooing away and having a chat. We could, maybe that's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should give that a go. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the Romans would hang out in toilets. I wonder if Ed Miliband would come on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely worth a pilot. Yeah, it's but that's, worth. you know, that's, there's a, like, I don't think in the modern world that would, I mean, is there anywhere in the modern world that people are, I suppose sometimes girls go to the toilet together, but you don't do, you don't do stuff, do you? you just chat in there, is that right? <laughs> just chat about me and what, how much you fancy me, right? When you go, yeah. Yeah, I mean, modern privacy is, a, is yeah. obviously acutely different, but I mean, it's a relatively modern thing, actually. Privacy is sort of a 19th century invention. I suppose, so it's yeah. sort of a Victorian invention. Before that, like, Louis XIV would just shit in the middle of the room. In the middle of a conversation, he'd just drop his trousers and go. And you just have that's to keep one of the contact. perks of being the king, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so, yeah, it's, we're, we're kind of... We're about 200 years old uh, in terms of the sort of the shy we is. Yes. Before that, you just went wherever. Yeah, it's interesting. So you don't think anyone had shy bladders in the oh, Middle sure Ages? I'm sure there were some. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm absolutely sure there were some. But yeah. in terms of society at large, yeah, it was it was much yeah. more open. You have to imagine you're weeing through the other guy's cock. That's how to get over it. So when you're Front standing, way. when you're standing next to someone at urinal, you just have to do something that distracts you so much that right. you don't. You're not thinking about what you're thinking about. So if you're imagining, someone told me and it works. I've done this. <laughs> You're standing next to someone, imagine you don't look at it, it, him when you're doing it. Right. And don't hold on, to, don't like go, oh, no. Just like, because you're thinking, so you're thinking about him, yeah. and then that means you're not thinking about yourself. So you can be anything, you can think of anything that is right. weird and unsettling. And when you say weeing through his cock. Yeah, <laughs> just imagine, so you've got to imagine that you're always coming out of his penis, and then you can wee, because you're thinking about something so weird. And where... Imagine you're sucking his penis, if, that, if that's weird for you. Again, if you would like to suck his penis, that's not a good thing no, to do. Not during the week. No, because that might... Yeah, well, that's, it's that's just a good point. Logistically, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, it would be... Know. Well, yeah, or it's not. It's just, no. <laughs> or soft, doesn't matter. It does. <laughs>
Um, and so um, I'm, I'm going to ask you some general questions. What is the most disgusting thing that has happened in history? <laughs> Ever? Yeah. I mean, Harvey Weinstein's pretty bad. <laughs> um, I mean, it, history is everything that's ever happened. I know, yeah, so you're so, a historian. <laughs> I want the answer to my question. Right, how long we got? Well, it's, it's just one thing. So the thing that's most horrifying, I think, when I tell people... I mean, there are things that are gross and, and pukey, and you go, oh, you're gross. The thing that's genuinely appalling, I think, is the way that Nero, Emperor Nero, would turn Christians into candles for his garden parties. Oh, yes. And that's genuinely barbaric. Like, yeah. he would cover them in oil alive and set fire to them and then use them to illuminate his soirees. And yeah. that is sort of psychopathic to the, to the extent where you're almost, you're almost intrigued to know how he's come up with that. That's yeah. so evil that I think... And how the other guests kind of managed yeah, to carry sure. on. Oh, yes, lovely wine and this <laughs> screaming, burning Christmas. Yeah, I mean... It's some sort of weird smell going on here. Uh, absolutely. Not, not entirely unpleasant, but... Right, yeah. Sounds like a barbecue, but... Yeah, I mean, you'd definitely... You'd probably duck the next party, yeah. wouldn't you? You'd probably... Yeah. So that's definitely a garden party. To, so that's, that's pretty grim. But, yeah. I mean, you know, Vlad the Impaler impaled 40,000 people on spikes and yeah. used them as a human fence. Yeah. Uh, and it was effective. It worked. The idea was to try and... <laughs> he was scared of being invaded by the Ottoman Empire. He didn't have a big enough army. He thought, how can I scare them? Yeah. I know, I'll round up 40,000 people of my own people and I will kebab them and then build a wall out of them and then basically say, this is what I do to my own people, imagine what I'll do to you. Yeah, well, it would be off-putting. You'd go somewhere yeah. else, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd definitely you'd go maybe around I'll that. swing by this place. Exactly. Try and invade the next town. It's an early version of the, of the Richard Nixon paranoid style, the idea that if you're insane, people will leave you alone. Yes. So uh, it worked. Do you think that's what Trump's trying to do? No, I think he's just insane. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, actually not insane, he's just... An idiot, but a terrifying idiot. Yeah. An idiot who does his diplomacy on Twitter. <laughs> and which is just I mean, but the positive thing, and you're still quite a young guy, thirty or forty years time the book they're gonna be about Trump. It's gonna be amazing, isn't it? It's gonna be vast. Yeah. It's gonna be called You Will Not Believe What This Guy Did. <laughs> Seriously, this happened. I mean if there are still books and a world. Yeah. That's the one downside. I had a dream last night that Trump nuked Israel. By right. accident. And, and I was so scared. I woke up genuinely really sort of shaken by it because it felt yeah. so real. And then I remember thinking to myself, but why would he nuke Israel? Israel's an ally. And then I thought, oh, he's Trump. He's, yeah. a, he's an absolute fucking idiot. But it's the he same, would do that. Same as Vlad the Impaler. If I've nuked my ally, sure. imagine what I'll do to you. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how I treat my enemies. Yeah. People are quite pissed off in America about what I've done. That's true. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe. They, well, maybe. I mean, I do, maybe he's just trying to find the thing that make people, the Americans finally go, oh, no, mate, come on. He's trying to find the come line. Come on, just like... He's like a really edgy comedian. He's sort of just doing really, really dark material. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's incredible. What is the sexiest thing that's ever happened in history? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's the question I get asked all the time. <laughs> um, what do you find sexy? And I will try and calibrate uh, for you. Uh, boobs. Boobs. Yeah. 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 On women or men? I mean, I mean, well, mainly women, preferably. But I'm, you know, fifty now, and I can't afford to be choosy. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, um, Pope. 
Alexander VI had a lot of orgies. Yeah. Uh, and they were pretty sexy orgies, pretty yeah. exciting orgies. And that's good because they're Catholics as well, so they're not meant to be doing it, and that adds a little Naughty. frisson. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's just like, that's what the Catholic Church is really all about. Absolutely. Just, you're not meant to do this. <laughs> I mean, that's true. But, I mean, you know. some of it I don't approve of, though. Absolutely. <laughs> the, ad the adult orgies. Some don't know, that's a bit too... Gone yeah. a bit far there, mate. Consent at all times yeah. And, yeah. and with adults, yeah, with adults yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I think I think that's probably that's up there with the sexy times. Yeah, that's quite good. Although there was incest involved, so maybe we, we back away from I'm, that. I'm from but, Somerset. It's all fine. But I, I think as long as the brothers and sisters were adults, yeah, that okay. is all right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Did you find there's a lot of pornography about having sex with your family? Have you found that, or is it just is that just what comes into my computer? <laughs> it just seems like. You look at pornography and it's a lot of it's about having sex with like your stepsisters usually or stepbrothers. Seems so weird. I kind of want to do things I mean, about that. Is that just what you're I looking don't know. for? I think, I think it's on the general... I just look on the general site. The general? I just look at the general, you know, Your standard Sainsbury's. It just seems to be all having sex with right. each other's daughters and... Well, I suspect but it's, it still work, it works, the, but it's, yeah. it's just... You have to overcome a little in your brain. You're right. I'll check it out. I'll yeah, look into it. Just have a look into it. Don't understand that. <laughs> what is... I'm not regretting this at all. I mean, what is... Hold on. Who was the first person to get drunk in all of history? Well, so, I mean, the first person to get drunk in all of history, we, we don't know, because we know oh. that people were drinking in the Stone Age, yeah. and we don't know their name. But okay. the first person to die from no. alcohol poisoning... Was Ristard Mac, no Ristard Mokriknail, who was an Irish chieftain in the 1440s. Yeah, it's very hard to say that name. Yeah, and Ristard Mokriknail, and he he basically was the first ever person to drink whiskey. Okay. So it was called Uskiba, which is the the Irish name for whiskey. And up until the 1600s, whiskey was a medicine, wasn't a drink. But he he pursued it anyway <laughs> and he kept drinking it and he's the first person and it was called uh, aquavitae at the time the latin was uh, the water of life okay it was thought to be a medicine that prolonged your life he died and everyone went oh well there we go <laughs> <laughs> you can die from it so <laughs> let's turn so, that into so that was about 600 years ago yeah okay uh <laughs> what is the drunkest thing that has ever what's the most stupid thing someone's done drunk in history <laughs> <laughs> Apart from that, not dying. Um, like someone who's been in charge of something but has been drunk. What is the biggest mistake they've made in history, in all of history? <laughs> there are loads, aren't there? Okay, there are yeah. way too many. Are there? Uh, Name one. The one that immediately comes to my brain is uh, there was a really famous actor about 200 years ago here in, in Britain called Edmund Keane, and he was a superstar actor. He was like, he was the Kenneth Branagh of his age. He did a brilliant Richard III, everyone loved him. But he got so drunk, constantly, like, constantly getting drunk, he would miss his own performances. Uh, famously, one night, he missed a performance, the understudy went on, and halfway through the show, he yelled out, you're doing really well! <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I think is lovely. But my favourite thing about him is that he, he would go missing for an entire week, and they would have to try and find him, and they'd find him in a pub in Deptford or something. But one night, he came back, absolutely slaughtered, hammered drunk, and went to bed with his wife woke up in the morning by his wife said uh, Edmund there's a man on the door he says, uh, he's, he says he's got a ship for you 
And everyone's like, what, what are you talking about? And the man came in and said, yeah, last night I sold you a yacht. <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, um, not a lot of use for a yacht. But he turned to his wife and said, do you want to live on the Thames? <laughs> she said, no, quite like the house we're in. He was like, all oh, right. So he tried to sell the yacht back to the man. And the man was like, no, <laughs> it's yours now. And so he had to basically give the man, I think, 70% of what he paid for it right. to take the yacht back. Wow. And that's just a nice story that I think is a, a yeah. good reminder that you should probably it's, it's not buy a yacht. What's, it's kind of interesting which stories end up remembered yeah so like of all the things that happen and every now and again like even like history from a long time ago you'll get one little human detail i remember like this i'm so, i can't remember which battle it was but someone there was a siege of a castle and and some guy was mooning the was mooning the battlements and someone shot an arrow into his ass you yeah. know and that and that is in the history books you know and that so that's all that guy will be you know yeah. will be remembered for, but he's still remembered, whatever, 800, 900 years later for, for that incident. Yeah, it's uh, a form of sort of infamy, isn't it? Yeah. You, you kind of get remembered for that, that one thing, that one time, guys, um, which I, li I like that. I like yeah. the fact that, and obviously this is what we do on Horrible Histories. We sort yeah. of zero in on these moments of human idiocy and go, right, that's it, that's, you'll, you'll be famous forever with children <laughs> for that one stupid decision you made. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are people who who made terrible, terrible mistakes and decisions. But there are people who deliberately tried to get in the history books. So there's a guy called Herostratus, who was a villain back in the ancient Greek times, and he really, really wanted to be famous, and he had no skills, and he had no money, and he was a, a former slave, and he was like, oh, what can I do? What can I, how can I get famous? And he was like, oh, I'll just burn down the Temple of Ephesus. Classic. <laughs> One of the seven wonders of the world. That'll do it. Job done. Set fire to it. Everyone was quite upset. <laughs> they tortured him, interrogated him, they said, why did he do it? He said, I want to be famous. And the punishment would, was that he would be akleon, the Greek word meaning struck from the history books. He would have his name removed forever. And that was his punishment because he desperately wanted to be famous. Yeah. And they were like, right, your punishment is you will never be famous. But his name was Herostratus. <laughs> because when people burn down temples, you talk yeah. about it, we can't help it. Yeah. There's now a syndrome named after him, Herostratus syndrome, and it's unfortunately what mass shooters are. Okay. That's what they do when yeah. they want to be on the news and they go and shoot people in churches and in schools. Herostratus syndrome is this uh, narcissistic personality disorder but where you feel it's okay to murder because you'll get to be famous. It's worked out brilliantly for him, hasn't it? That, that <laughs> yeah. It's got a whole thing named exactly. after him. So he he's, must be punching the air every time that He's happens. loving it. He's loving it. <laughs> and he appeared in Chaucer's poem, The House of uh, Fame in the yeah. uh, 1380s. So he's, he's done really well for himself. And yet there are whole civilizations that are forgotten. Yeah. You know, and that we, you might find like some tiny artifact to go, oh, there was an amazing civilization. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we don't know about some of them. Atlantis, that's one of them. That is not one of them. That is one of them. <laughs> watch, out for, watch out for that. What I like, this is a bit I liked. I, think, I can't remember what you were, I think you might, I think you might have been talking about toilets at this point in the book. It's probably. But so you said, um, and I'm going to use one of your, one of your questions you asked in the book as an emergency question, okay. which is how old are toilets? So that okay. is my new emergency question. Uh, language is a portal to the past. I like that idea, but that is very true, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the words we use are, they, they become synonymous and we use them interchangeably. And, and that line is about the fact that we can talk uh, about a toilet and we can use things like privy, lav, john, shitter, loo. We've got all these euphemisms for them, but they all come from different places and they, they used to have different meanings and, and very specific. Lavatory derives from the French verb laver, to wash. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be a room where you washed in and there was no toilet in it. And until the 18th century, the word toilet meant to clean yourself or to put your makeup on. So you'd still see in the 19th century um, 
a guide to a woman's toilet would not be what you're thinking it is. <laughs> it would certainly not be the sort of creepy stalker. Uh, it, it was basically how to put your makeup on. Right. So uh, words have a sort of different meaning. In terms of the oldest toilet, well, obviously toilets go way, way, way back. But um, the Harappans in the Bronze Age had toilets. They had very impressive toilets. That was four and a half thousand years ago. And the toilet seat is about 5,200 years old and was invented in ancient Egypt and was stone, was carved like a, a toilet seat you use now. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't flip it up and drop it, uh, hinge it, because obviously if it landed on your penis, it would be terrifying and painful. <laughs> so they very much had that as a permanent down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, toilets in that sense go way back to the Bronze Age and obviously people have been pooing forever. They have. Who was the first person who <laughs> <to> ever pooped? <laughs> well, that was obviously <laughs> Gerald, the pooer. Um, should know. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of little things you could pick out of the book. Um, one that uh, fascinated me that I chanced across was uh, that um, I think it was the Romans used Portuguese boys' urine as mouthwash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, you know, this, I mean they. I mean, the idea, I call but it... But specifically Portuguese yeah. boys. Yeah, so I call it pistarine. Right. And, <laughs> um, sorry, I know. Um, the kids love that one. Uh, it's, yeah, but we're not sure if this is true or not, but this is one of the things that's sort of recorded, and it, you know, yeah. obviously historical facts are often actually not true at all, but they're written down, and we get to go, well, it's written down, we get to use it in horrible histories. The story was that aristocracy would import Portuguese wee all the way from Portugal, presumably because of the diet, I guess. Maybe right. they sort of ate a specific type of clam or something. Yeah. That asparagus. Maybe, maybe asparagus. <laughs> but, uh, but the, yeah, the, the idea was that you would, you would gargle it to clean your teeth, and it worked quite well. And the, uh, yeah. the Inca also would shave their legs with human urine, so we call that shampoo uh, rather than shampoo. So, yeah, urine's very useful, and poo's very useful in history as well. Yeah. So the Romans would collect wee, they would collect poo. Uh, there was, that was an actual job, to be a fella who collected wee for a, a living. Yeah, it's not too bad. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the way capitalism's going again, yeah. isn't it? I mean, it now, is. it's, it's Donald Trump is... doesn't mind a bit of that, does he? You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's <laughs> <laughs> how he made his millions. <laughs> um, well, I'd like to talk to you about uh, other the history. Well, I'll ask you this, because this is an emergency question that uh, works with you. If you had a finger that could travel through time... Oh, yeah, OK. What, where would your finger go, and what would you do with it? I mean, so many, so many eyeballs to poke, aren't there? <laughs> um, I mean, the obvious one would be to travel through time and go all the way back to a really important speech and then just dangle the finger out the front of someone's fly so it looks like their penis <laughs> is hanging out. Yeah. Maybe like Churchill. Yeah. Just in the middle of the sort of, you know, we will never surrender. Yeah. Just a little penis finger hanging that out the front. That would mean Hitler would win the war, though, wouldn't it? If that happened, that would just... I don't know. I think the... Hitler would have found it amusing and probably would have called off the bombers. <laughs> I think he'd be like, this is a man I can get behind. He's got a sense of humour. I'll leave this behind. Yeah, I think definitely... Because that's a classic. Kids love that. Adults yeah. love that. I mean, that's okay. definitely... And if the whole lot of you could travel in time, right? Yeah, which you cannot do. Oh, okay. I, to, I wanted to just tell you it's not possible. But if it was, just imagine it was possible. Where, sure. where, where, which historical period would you most like to go to, or who would you like to go and I investigate? Would, I would love to go back to uh, probably back to 2005. Have a word with Gordon Brown. <laughs> <laughs> just give him a quick heads up and go. Mm. Just. <laughs> Just so you know, it's not going to go. It's not going well. <laughs> uh, no, I. I mean, I've always said that 
I'm an asthmatic with allergies. I would die in any period of history prior to the invention of penicillin in 1945. So it would be an idiotic decision to get anywhere before that. But I've always... What if you could take penicillin with you? A, you could make yourself all right, and B, you could sell penicillin. Hey. And take an iPhone or two. And a radio mask. Did you know penicillin is made of a cantaloupe? So we're back to cantaloupe. Oh, we didn't know. It was made for... So the the vital penicillin that was taken... The first time penicillin was used was in large quantities was at D-Day in 1944. And it was uh, made from a cantaloupe taken from a mouldy cantaloupe in someone's um, cupboard. Right. And she worked at, I think, Pfizer in the States. And excellent. We have some fans fans of uh, the American drug companies in there. (laughs) Yeah, stealing money from the poor. Um, but uh, is it the uh, is it the erection thing that's excited you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, basically, they were trying desperately to find the strain of penicillin that grew naturally in fruit, and they couldn't find a strong enough one. And they had a sort of they, they sent out a, a kind of letter saying to all the members of staff, please bring in your mouldy fruit, like right. a sort of bring and buy sale. Yeah. And and she brought in this cantaloupe, and that was the one, and that's the very basis of all penicillin used now to this day. I did not know that. No. So, uh, I don't know what we were talking about before. But Where you would go if you could, all of you could Oh, right, sorry. I, uh, I think I'd really like to go and meet uh, Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. And just go, hey, like, just, what's going on? Yeah. Because he was a brilliant man who never finished anything. Work a bit harder on the helicopter. Yes, exactly. You know, the ornicopter, as he, was, <laughs> he called it. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, he's my favourite person from history because he was brilliant. And also, not a racist. Okay. So many people in history racist. As soon as you go back, they're absolute dicks. So yeah. I, I reckon he'd, he'd, actually, he'd be all right. I reckon you could invite him to dinner and he wouldn't, like, talk about eugenics. Yeah. So, you know. And you can't say that about people who live now because there are plenty of people now who do that. Yeah. So, Da Vinci all the way. Yeah, okay. Or Leonardo, as his fans his of though. Pfizer and uh, Leonardo Da Vinci. We're getting one by one, we're going to work through this audience so everyone's found a subject that they can get behind. Yeah. Who else do you want? Well, what else can we do? <laughs> do you ever want? I wonder, I would, I'd like to go back and see what Jesus was all about. Sure. But then, what if you went back and discovered that you were Jesus? You went back and then that you found out that I was Jesus. Well, no, that well, you were, both of us could have a crack at it, uh, but uh, you went back and you discovered the person who was Jesus was actually you who travelled back in time with oh. your wisdom. But then also you'd have to go fuck. I've got to remember all the stuff that Jesus said, so it ends up in the New Testament. Come on, that's... and then that's why the New Testament's all fucked up because you go, yeah, you know, the, I think the the wine becomes blood, my blood or not. I can't remember. Don't just keep it vague. <laughs> I can't remember which one works out. Do you think... Blessed are the peacemakers. Yeah. And you have to come uh, through all that. Do you reckon Goodnight Sweetheart would have been as good? <laughs> if Nicholas Lyndhurst went back and was Jesus? Yes, I think it would be as good. <laughs> it would be exactly as good. And it would be exactly as good casting. <laughs> Um, I'm very interested in the uh, historical figure Rasputin. You are. Um, and uh, I've, I've written a best-selling uh, play about it uh, and, and a musical about him. Um, I think I've come up with uh, something in the Rasputin story that I don't think any other historian has noticed that right. I, I'm interested in seeing if, if what you think about it. When... I mean, there's all this bullshit about Rasputin. I think Rasputin's a very interesting story in terms of history, okay? Because it's become historical fact 
that if you read books about Rasputin, most of them will, will just give this verbatim story that, yeah. uh, that um, I should know his name because I wrote a play about him, but I'm tired. Yusupov, uh, is it? Is uh, it? Yeah, uh, Felix Yusupov. Yeah. Uh, he... Um, he just made well. Him and the co-conspirators said that he kept on coming back alive, and mm-hmm. they had to shoot him, and none of it really added up, right? And and it's and when you look at it, they're obviously hiding something. But Rasputin is found in the river with his hands tied, uh, and he's kind of managed to get his hand out of one of the ropes. But there's no reason why Rasputin should have his hands tied, because according to the story that they're telling, he's been shot. Mm. and then escaped and then run away and then been shot again and you wouldn't tie his hands if he was dead right to throw him in the river sure so doesn't the fact that his hands were tied prove that uh, that the story that he was um, it's very specifically for me this bit so (laughs) this is the bit I'm going hooray in Uh, doesn't that prove that there's there's another theory that the British Secret Service yes uh, kind of kid got him they were worried what he was going to do so they basically tortured him and killed and murdered him which makes a lot more sense well the bullet was traced back to a specific type of revolver used by MI6 at the time yes so the idea was that basically they'd shot him or they'd give him Yusuf off the gun to shoot him. Yeah. So doesn't that prove that he had his hands tied, that that's the case? I forgot what the question is. But, okay. uh, so just say yes, and then yes. And I can put it as, as yeah, proven I mean, but, by but, this story. But your interest in Rasputin interests me, because I don't know why you find him so compelling. Uh, lots, because I think... Um, I think he's the fir- world's first... You should like it, because you're writing a book about celebrity, I and am. he's the world's first superstar like he's almost a pop star I did a sort of jo- joke show about him having written all of Boney M's songs and been the original pop star but he sort of was in that he rose up through the ranks of nothing and then became this massive figure that was a celebrity and could do whatever he wanted uh, and didn't get into trouble for all the yeah. awful things he was doing potentially uh, he treated uh, women very badly or well whichever way you look at it but the, the, his myth well again no, but whichever way you look at him as a character, some people think that the women liked him, some people think that yeah. he was abusing his power in a, in a Harvey Weinstein kind of way. Um, but, you know, he he's, was a myth even when he was alive. Yes. And, and, he, and he's a, you know, when I was starting being interested in him, there were still people alive who would have, uh, would have seen, met him and known him. And yet he was a historical figure that was a myth and his death story is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all those things are just very fascinating. Plus, I think initially he drank a lot and chagged women. And when I was 14, I thought, that's amazing. <laughs> so I think that's what drew me in. Yeah, yeah. And he was sort of magic. And he came back to life. And that, that drew me in as a teenager. But so as, was Jesus, though. But as, yeah, well, but I was, I, was, I was religious when I was young. And I, yeah. I was fascinated by all that sort of stuff. But then I think as an historian, I think he's just a very fascinating subject a, a to rise from nothing and be that powerful yeah and then be and then not be powerful again because you're dead and b to to be a living myth in that even people who talk about him don't they all disagree about what his motives were what he looked like mm. whether he was clean whether he was dirty whether he was brown blue eyes or whatever you know they all had different versions of him and yeah. I just so i think that historically is quite interesting well i've enjoyed that answer thank, thank you, you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, but I think you're absolutely right. It's so interesting is that how living people are interpreted and spun uh, and the stories they put out about themselves and the stories that other people put out about them um, is really intriguing. And obviously, history is written by the victors. Yes. But also, some people try and write their own history. So Winston Churchill wrote his own history. Yes. He was like, I'm going to make sure people remember me as a great man. And they have. And he was a great man. But... He absolutely wrote that in that story himself, <laughs> and it's a really effective way of ensuring that people remember you fondly. But yes. what's interesting is that the posthumous legacy sometimes goes horribly wrong about 20 years after you die. Yes. You can be sort of lauded, and then it's like, ooh, fall well, off Well, I cliff. think in Russia, Rasputin's not really even 
talked about much. When you, I went to St. Petersburg and there is a Rasputin tour, but it's for tourists and mm. the, the actual Russian... I mean, Russian history, as uh, we had Armando on the other week, but it's yeah. kind of... And, and it's like hyper-history. It's like, you know, it's history squared, isn't it? And everything that... Everything that the czars did and everything that the communists did it was just so horrific and so yeah there's no huge. good guys no. There's, there's very few people you can go well he was nice <laughs> it's, it's yeah I mean even people like Lenin so you know you can you can kind of go well they had interesting ideas but ultimately these people were, were brutal yeah um, but yeah it's, it's inter- and obviously this is the 100th anniversary of the Russian revolution yeah and it's so interesting just at the moment watching people arguing about whether it was a good thing or not you know and, <laughs> and, and I think people like Paul Mason sort of going, well, you know, intellectually. And you go, yeah, a lot of people died. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's, history is an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing argument. What I find so interesting is how people in their own lifetime get spun. So, you know, Ed Miliband yes. is a man who, his reputation changes week by week and who his reputation was forged by comedians, by the media, and he was desperately str- struggling to try and put forward his own version for himself, his own persona, and that's what happens all the time in history. And the problem with being a historian is you don't know who you're trusting. You can't necessarily go, oh, well, this is a very valid... You know, Charlemagne had all, all his stories written for him by a guy called Nock at the Stammerer and people who kind of were writing propaganda for him. So, yeah. you know, how can we trust that Alfred the Great was great? Maybe he was Alfred the Dickhead. Um, well, and also, because so, you know, I'm very interested in archaeology, I know you are, and you're always... Yeah. You're, it's worth, very worth following on Twitter for lots of reasons, but one reason is that you always post very interesting articles to go and look at, as well as lots of funny jokes. Uh, but, you know, if, for example, the, the millstone was the only thing from the yeah. 21st century to be discovered, you would think, my God, who was this? <laughs> who was, what was this civilization that put these laws? We can't quite translate them, we don't know. It could be the Rosetta Stone of the, the future somehow. But you know, if that's the thing that happens to survive, it's got to be buried somewhere, hasn't it? So Yeah, I mean, about three years ago, I tried to pitch a TV programme exactly that, which was how would future archaeologists see our society? Yeah. And obviously what would survive after the flood would be plastic. Yes. So mobile phones would survive, they would, and, and like Justin Bieber dolls would survive, but like all the records would go. We'd lose most of the, of the sort of uh, cloth and the fabric. So yeah, what, it would be amazing to see how, in 200 years' time, our society now is... And I think like things like... Because, again, this is another of my obsessions, but, like, Chaplin and Hitler, there's been lots of busts of Hitler and lots of little dolls of Charlie Chaplin, Mm. and in 5,000 years' time, if you don't know anything else, you would imagine that was the same... (laughs) Wouldn't you? You get two of those where we found these... They're from the same time period. <laughs> this has got to be two representations of the same god or person or whatever the fuck this is. Sometimes he's got a little cane. Sometimes <laughs> got this strange symbol on him. <laughs> very stern sometimes. <laughs> and then he's very happy. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? So that, and when you're trying to... Uh, when we're trying to do that to things in the past, you know, how many terrible mistakes are we making? All the time. In, you know, in trying to, uh, you know, because also it's very difficult to not ascribe modern day, which I think your book, your book is really great at, at really trying to get to the heart of not doing it, that of not imposing what yeah. our views are on the people of the past. Yeah, I mean, my joke is deliberately, uh, my joke, sorry, my book is deliberately jokey. <laughs> yeah. my, my one joke. <laughs> my joke uh, is very booky. My joke is very booky. My one joke, uh, no, it, it, the book is deliberately amusing in yeah. a sort of sense. For a history book, it's funnier than a history book. Obviously, I'm not a comedian. I'm not, not as funny as you, Richard Herring. I but, think... No, it's um, well, the, you know, I... Th- I it, 
But I think the book. Is, I think. I mean, I'm not. I, it's fine. I, I, um. <laughs> the book's very, very funny, you know. That, and but, that, but then, I, but I always, I think that's yeah. And, and a lot of history is very dry, and, and, yeah. and a lot of historians aren't great writers. Okay, and you, what, we had Mary Beard on, who I think is a she's fabulous a writer. writer. Yeah, and so she makes it all come alive, and she's funny enough, but also it's you know yeah. it's very, uh, it's very erudite and clever. And a lot of historians are, are, are dry. And I think the best way to really you know it doesn't just work for kids the best way to educate people is to entertain them and then they'll remember all the the other stuff around it so if you if you give them something to hook on to that's entertaining or interesting then you know that will be enough to draw you in and want to find that out was the hope the hope yeah. was the, the idea was to write a book that would be for people who'd never read, read a history book in their life but it would also work for people who'd read 300 history books yeah. and it's a really hard Venn diagram because yes. you've got to write a book that's kind of like working for people who are like history oh fuck that and people are like I love history so it's, yeah. it was tricky to sort of find that that middle ground but I enjoyed doing it and people seem yeah. to quite like it and that's but there's nice. lots of things you know, there are lots of things that surprise you in that book and, the, yeah. the, 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 and facts that come up that you haven't thought about it's great do read it and your next book is, is, about, is about celebrity yeah it's called uh, Hopefully Dead Famous right uh, I am I've written like 7,000 words. It's so far, like, doesn't really exist. It exists in my head. Uh, but it's about the history of celebrity from ancient Greece up until the 1950s. Right. Because we think of celebrity as a 20th century thing. You know, it's interesting you said Rasputin was the first pop star. I would quibble with that. Mm -hmm. Because there were pop stars in the 19th century, like Jenny Lind, who was an opera singer, who was enormous, huge. But you're absolutely right that traditionally, that kind of period of history about 1911, when Hollywood cinema arrives and everyone goes, ta-da! Yeah. And that's when sociologists had said, that's when celebrity was born, that, yeah. that, that minute. But it's much older than that. It's really interesting to see how far back it goes. So I'm enjoying tracking it back and, yeah. and rummaging through 17th, 18th century stuff, but also back to the medieval saints, back to Thomas de Cantaloupe. <laughs> uh, people travelled hundreds of miles to go and touch his tomb, but they would also be chained overnight to it. Right. So if you had someone with a disability or an injury or they, they, maybe they were mad or whatever, you would chain your person to the tomb overnight in the hope that they would be healed in the morning. Mm. Uh, and we get the word tawdry from the shrine of St. Audrey uh, in Ely, I think, uh, because people used to stand outside the front selling tat. Yeah. So it's equivalent of standing outside a gig, you know, and, and getting T-shirts printed up and little badges and things. So there yeah. was already a, con a sort of a... <laughs> I'm not saying anything, Richard. Uh, I mean, your stuff's not tawdry, it's classy. It's, it's classy, uh, that guy. But <laughs> no one, everyone's looking at him going, what's classy? Uh, but there was a commercial economy to yeah. these personalities 800 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying. And I, and I think like the 20th century, you did get these, suddenly these peasant people, be, you know, becoming rulers of massive countries. You know, sure. That, so that, I mean, not to say that never happened. And Catherine the Great came from... A fairly well, she was German royalty. She yeah. was German royalty, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's. I mean, to to when she rose up and you know, so there 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 are exceptions to that, but but rulers were the were the ruling class, and then suddenly you had these. Certainly in Russia, it was a sort of sure. presage of what was to come, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, history is is also cyclical as well. So you go back a long way, and actually you find these patterns of of recurrence. You know that. If you find the right place in the cycle, do you think you can work out what's going to happen next? No. no. Okay. <laughs> Not a very good circle then, is it? Uh, so, uh, you're, from, you're from Tunbridge Wells. I'm from Royal Tunbridge Wells. What is your favourite bit of history that's happened in Ro Royal Tunbridge Wells? Um, well, it was, it was that sort of a spa town yes. where the celebrities and the royal, the royal court would go to drink the waters because the waters there are disgustingly iron-based. It's like iron brew without yeah. the deliciousness and um 
so it was kind of a it was kind of a weird town where people would come for like three months to kind of hang out and they go to theater and stuff so it nothing particularly exciting happened there but that was sort of it was the kind of place to be seen it was like the hamptons of Kent. Did you ever hang out down the Pantiles? Hey, I've been to the Pantiles. Yeah, cool. I, I was dropped on my head on the, on the oh, Pantiles really? when my dad is a baby, yeah. Oh, yeah. Explains a lot, I think. <laughs> uh, the Pantiles are very old flagstones that you don't want to drop your baby on. So uh, so that's what your dad did. It's yeah. like a, a Tunbridge Wells tradition, though, isn't it? Yeah. Take your newborn baby it's down. It's a ceremonial drop, thing. You take your child them. out, you <laughs> fling them to the floor, you hope they're alive, you carry on. Cool. Are there more horrible histories to come? Uh, uh, sort of. Yeah. Right, so we made a full series this year and the BBC have put some of them on the shelf for next right. year. So there'll be like an episode dedicated to Florence Nightingale that will come out maybe after Christmas, which is really good fun. We're making the Horrible Histories movie oh, great. and that's yeah. the exciting thing. Cool. Uh, but I can't tell you anything about it. <laughs> um, will there be any history in it? No. Okay. It's going to be, wow. be set in uh, 2017 and... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's weird, Ed Miliband's playing all the roles. It's, it's quite a meta film, in fairness. Um, Lars von Trier is directing. It's, you know, it's, gonna, it's really going to push some boundaries. Uh, no, it's, it's going to be set in a Roman Britain. It's going to be the story of Boudicca. So it's, it's fun. Hey, I wheedled something out. He said he wouldn't tell us anything. And then uh, I, look at that. That's, that's proper interviewing, that is. <laughs> and um, you would, uh, my producer, Ben Walker, who I am indebted to, yeah. Uh, said that you were trying to make something go, you were, you were investigating getting things to go viral. Is this correct? Oh, yes. Uh, God, that makes me sound like I'm sort of some sort of supervillain who's trying <laughs> to... No, just like three years ago, I just wanted to know if it was possible to go viral on Twitter. Right. Because uh, I was writing the book and I, was, I got to the bit about Martin Luther and how ideas spread. And, and we've just this week had the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, uh, which is sort of big history, big serious history. But... I was curious to know how did he get his ideas out? How do you spread an idea? So I was curious to see if I could spread an idea. So I came up with a hashtag, which is two words CV, hashtag two words CV, and you had to describe yourself in two words. And I wanted to see if I could get the world, to get it to trend on Twitter. And I, was, I sort of learned a lot, and I wrote a sort of essay on my website okay. about this, but I realized that I couldn't get it to trend without Al Murray and Kathleen Moran's help. <laughs> and so it was quite interesting. I had 5,000 Twitter followers at the time. I was like, oh, maybe that's enough. And it wasn't yeah. enough. No. So it's, it sort of was an eye-opening thing about how celebrity networks are really important yeah. in spreading ideas. And it ended up trending globally on Twitter. It ended up number one on, on around the world on Twitter, but only with their help. Right. Um, but then that's, that's how it works, so isn't it? That's how things do go viral with someone, someone yeah, latches sometimes. onto it. But it's quite depressing because it means that sometimes good <laughs> ideas will never spread. Oh, God. And bad ideas can spread. Tell really me easily. about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's a virality of, a, of a, an idea. The but, you know, if is... an idea is good and it exists, that is all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're the only person who knows about it. <laughs> that's, that's quite depressing, isn't it? it? Is, it is I'd rather... Right. No, I don't want that. Yeah. Take that back. Is it what? You want to ask him the human centipede question? <laughs> this isn't like a request show. It's not like you're at a gig. Do the human centipede! If you had to be in a human centipede with two characters from history... Oh. Oh. Yeah. Which is still any human being alive. So this is no different than the regular question. Who, if you're in the middle, who would you put at the front and at the back? I'm presumably a Portuguese weeing boy in the head of you. So I don't know if you've got that in his mouth. Uh, so that, it's, it's gone weird. It's, it's all right if it's a Portuguese boy's anus in your mouth, but 
is it is it though yeah it is but i'm not sure no it is it's that's fine in the human sent in the human centipede universe that's okay but i think human centipede professors or whatever that guy is would go oh no you can't put their penises in the mouth that's wrong that that damages the the whole ethos of the human centipede it's not meant to be like that not about we and uh, no, I no. mean, but if you had to be, <laughs> I would choose a Portuguese boy, a William boy right. from the Roman times. Okay, it's good to when know. it was all right to be a paedophile. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not breaking any rules, <coughs> and also I'm just drinking his wee, and that's also allowed. That's still allowed. Am I in the middle? I mean, where am middle, I? Yeah. I'm in, in the middle. middle. So, I need so you've a got a historical figure ahead of you and, a, and then you're going to poo into the mouth of an historical figure. So then I mean, the obvious answer then is you want, a, you want a villain behind you Yeah, well, gets punished yeah. and you want someone ahead of you who's got a decent diet. Yeah. Okay, all right. So or just I, that you'd like to eat the poo off. Right. Or that you think you're worse off than to them you would be a villain and deserve to be. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Who would I be a villain to? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Which historical figure would you be a villain to? Yeah. That is a good question. <laughs> well, I... I mean, in terms of who's come out badly on Horrible Histories, who yeah. have we vilified on Horrible Histories? Uh, we've definitely given William the Conqueror quite a kicking. Yeah, he, so was, a, he was a... He was a bastard. I mean, he, he was, was called he William was, the Bastard. He was. he was an actual bastard. I call him William the Cunt. <laughs> there must have been someone called that. I mean, Canute, probably. Okay, well, th- <laughs> there was actually an Anglo-Saxon man called Edward Clawcunt. Right. Um, <laughs> And it's slightly alarming because it probably means that he was a bit like Donald Trump. He was probably a pussy grabber. Mm. So he's probably clawing it. Yeah. yeah. Or his face looked like a claw cunt. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, so that's a name from history that you don't anyway, know. Anyway, William the Conqueror. William the Conqueror in the front. In front of you. Because I think he would, he would want to okay, so get vengeance on me and I'm willing to take that. Yeah. So provided didn't I he get. Ex- uh, didn't he. Bl- when he died, didn't he blow up? Yeah, he exploded. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he was quite obese and he fell off his horse and smashed his tummy on the, the pommel of the horse, of the, yeah. of the saddle, saddle bit. Yeah. Uh, and they then tried to cram him into a stone coffin that was too small and they were sort of cramming very hard and his tummy just exploded with, yeah. with gas uh, and also the church caught fire at the same time. <laughs> because of the explosion? No, just unrelated. Just... <laughs> And weirdly, the church also caught fire at his coronation. He's wow. the only man in history who, who basically was present uh, at sort of arson during yeah. the coronation and his funeral. So he yeah. didn't end well. So William the Conqueror in the front. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that for the team. Okay. Who am I going to deliver vengeance to? Uh, I mean, oh, goodness. I mean, my, you know, it's going to have to be Hitler, isn't it? Yeah. It's going to have to be Hitler, you know. That'll teach him. Yeah, I mean. Uh, he's going he's gonna to rue the day now. Yeah. He has exactly. to eat Greg Jenner's poo. He is, you know. Mixed with William the Conqueror's poo. Yeah, absolutely, he's going to be getting... Yeah. And also, you know, if Hitler was a vegetarian, William the Conqueror ate a lot of meat. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to do him that way as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good question. Well done for thinking of that question. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, please give a massive round of applause to Greg Jenner. Don't think we can beat that. Don't think we can beat that. Thank you so much. Listening to Rich Terring's That Square Theatre podcast with me, Rich Terring, and my guest Greg Jenner. The music's by Pest. The people I would I'm indebted indebted to. Uh, Les Square Theatre, Go Past the Stripe, British Comedy Guide, Ian Tunes, Ewan Tube, all that lot. 
The producer is Ben Walker. It's a fuzz, go fast, the stripe, and sky potato production.